everybody. Hope you're all keeping well. This is episode 22 of Dope Nostalgia. I'm your host, Naomi, and I have a co-host today, my buddy Colin. You guys all know him and love him. He's been an outstanding member of the show, and he's going to be talking with me a bit about the band Jackal. Also, we scored an interview. Not only did we score an interview with their guitar player, Mr. Jeff Worley, but he was kind enough to send me a couple of his books, and we talk about them in the interview as well. Just out of nowhere. What a great, nice guy, you know? That was really cool. And so many of these interviews have been. Like, it's been amazing reaching out to people. They are all showing up for me and helping the show grow. And you can help the show grow, too. You can share this show on your social media if you enjoy listening to it. Um, share it with a friend, let them know about it as we are trying to get more and more out there. Also, we not only did we do an audio, but we did a video interview with Jeff Worley. So that's going to be featured as bonus material that you can subscribe to on our Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash dope nostalgia and become a subscriber for a very, very low price, very low price. I, it's a hard time for money right now. So we don't, we don't ask for a lot. Um, not only do you get the podcast early and in advance, you get all the bonus material, which includes videos. And sometimes we do some extra stuff that we don't put in the show. Hey, check it out. Patreon. Patreon. That's where you go. Become a patron of Dope Nostalgia. And now we'll tell you a little bit about the band Jackal. Wikipedia moment. Guys, this is going to be a little bit of a raunchy one. Heads up. <laughs> Jackal is an American rock band formed in 1991. Their sound has also been described as heavy metal and southern metal. Their self-titled debut album has sold more than a million copies in the United States with hit singles like Down On Me and When Will It Rain. The band is best known for this song, The Lumberjack, which features a chainsaw solo by lead singer Jesse James Dupree. Their debut album came out in 1992, self-titled and released under Geffen Records, eventually it went platinum. It features a song entitled She Loves My Cock, which is omitted from edited versions as were suggestive elements on the album's cover art. When a Kmart in Georgia refused to sell Jackal, the band played an impromptu concert in front of the store. Footage of the event was used for the music video of the single I Stand Alone. Push Comes to Shove came out in 1994, their second album. Also that year, the band appeared at Woodstock 94 in Sagratees, New York. The album contains the singles Push Comes to Shove and Headed for Destruction. Jackal released Cut the Crap in 1997. Its song Locked and Loaded featured guest vocals from ACDC's Brian Johnson. Johnson also teamed up with the band for their 2002 album Relentless. Choice Cuts, the band's first greatest hits album, arrived in 1998. Gavin Records produced a music video for their cover of We're an American Band, the 70s hit song by Grand Funk Railroad. Staying Alive. So, Choice Cuts failed to revive the band's sales and touring success, so Geffen Records and Jackal parted company. Later that year, Staying Alive was released by their new record label, Shimmertone. Jesse James Dupree's solo album came out in the year 2000 called Foot Fetish. And here's a really well-known fact about Jesse, besides the chainsaw, is the Playgirl. He posed for Playgirl with his genitalia out next to his guitar. Very lovely photos. You can Google them if you really want to look. Okay, check it out. We had so much to tell you about Jackal, and one of the main guys in the group is here to share his stories 
But before we get to his stories, Colin and I had a chat about the band. Check it out. Here's what I know about Jackal. Um, all I remember is the singer's name is Jesse James Dupree. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Um, he looks like a lion. He does kind of look like a lion, yeah. And I think he played the guitar with a chainsaw or something. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, on their first album, actually. That was the one that broke them through was the whole chainsaw solo. And yeah. hold on one second here. Hold on one second here. Uh, the name of that song was The Lumberjack. That was their first single. Very first and single, got, eh? Yeah, that's right. And they got... Uh, they got famous off the chainsaw solo, essentially. Oh. And uh, yeah, they, I mean, they're first the first band to play the chainsaw as an instrument. And they were very Southern. They were sort of Southern hair metal, I guess you'd call them. They're really big with the bike community. Oh. Um, and after the chainsaw thing put them on the map, the next big thing that, that kept them famous was Jesse James Dupree posing for Playgirl. Okay, I didn't see yeah. it. I was too young to see it, but I remember hearing about it. Yes, I think it was probably talked about in my Metal Edge magazine. Of course, yeah, and it, I remember they did a big thing about it on Power Thirty, also or Power Hour. I can't remember which it was at that time. Oh yeah, but, uh, with Teresa Roncon. Oh yeah, she was awesome. Yeah, she was good. I don't know what ever happened to her. Like I don't know as as a presenter, I don't know where she went or what she did. I'm gonna see if she's on Instagram. Good old Teresa Roncon. She'd be nice to talk to. Um, Monica Diol is on Instagram. Really? Monica Diol? I wonder what she's doing now. Teresa Roncon. Um, I don't even know if I spelled it right. I'll look her up another time. It's hard to say if this is her or not. Uh, her account's private. Well, that's no fun. She must be out of the, she must <laughs> must be really be out the, out the business then. Yeah. yeah. She's probably relaxing at home with her kids. It's um, my guess. So here's, re here's some more Jackal trivia for you. Mm -hmm. At first uh, self-titled album, they couldn't sell it at Kmart and they couldn't sell it at uh, certain chains of stores. Didn't sell it for a long time because it's got a song on it called She Loves My Cock. And they yes. refused to change it. So they never did get sold at Kmart. And that was their big deal was like, we're not changing it. This is how we are. We got a song about a chicken. The funny thing is, okay, so you're not going to sell your album at this place that does mass sales, mass sales. Right. That's fine. But your yeah. product becomes more desirable because of that. Absolutely. Sure. So, so I, think, I think that's not a bad thing to do. I think they probably just, you, you could still pick it up at the HMV or Sam the Record Man or wherever it was you bought fine music back in the And day. in those days, everybody just went there anyway, for sure. Well, that's right. I never, now, I hardly ever bought things at like Zeller's for music. I no. Few, but mostly it was going right to the record store. I think a lot of that gets middle America though. That gets a lot of people who wouldn't get it otherwise. And, you know, you get the guy in there who's not a real music fan, but oh, this is the guy that plays the chainsaw. That's cool. I'll check that out. Right. Uh, it's easier to get to the mainstream crowd if you're selling your shit at Walmart. For sure. And I mean, that album did go platinum. Their first one did go platinum. The, the, the second single was I Stand Alone, which also got huge. That song got I Stand thing. Alone.
You know, I've never actually listened to any of their songs, and now I feel like a dick. <laughs> I, was a, I was a big fan back in the day, and their second album was called Push Comes to Shove, and that was out in 94. Okay. And uh, that one uh, has one called Push Comes to Shove on, and Headed for Destruction was another one. And there was one that we, in high school, we used to sing all the time. It's called Secret of the Bottle. It's a drinking song. Secret of the Bottle? Off, yeah. Mm. That all came off their second one, Push Comes to Shove. After that, their releases were largely forgettable. I mean, they've got, they had one called Cut the Crap that came out in 97. <laughs> and they, and their, their uh, greatest hits package came out in 98. And their greatest hits package had a cover of Grand Funk, We're an American Band. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, not what you'd expect. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it looks like, I'm just looking ahead here. They've had several non-remarkable releases since that point. But um, I know that Jesse James Dupree, the guy we were talking about, the guy who did the Playgirl cover and that sort of thing, he was on a show called Full Throttle Saloon. And it was basically a, a business that it was a huge drinking establishment for, uh, for bikers at Sturgis. Oh, and okay. It, I've heard of that. And it was him and another guy. And they, they were, he was like, basically, he's not a rock star anymore. He does business and just walks around being cool. So. Yeah. In 2010, he created and launched his own line of alcoholic beverages called Jesse James Spirits. That and sounds it, right. That includes the Jesse James America's outlaw brands of beer and bourbon whiskey. That's a very smart career move of his, I think. Sure. Well, there's always going to be a market for that. And if anybody who's a fan is going to be all over it. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was very, very, uh, very insightful of him to get into that kind of industry. He also started a business interest called Mighty Loud Entertainment, a record label and artist management company. So he's the general manager of Kiefer Sutherland's label Ironworks. Oh, now I wonder if Ironworks is um, is for music or for motion pictures or t television. I think it's music. I would assume so, because I know Kiefer Sutherland is doing a lot more with that sort of thing now. He's, he's, he's acting less and playing guitar more kind of thing. He sure is. He sure is. As Didn't you have a, a, near, a near miss with uh, him at your, at your work? That was no miss. I actually served him. Nice. Yeah, that was the story. I guess I don't think I've told on this podcast. <laughs> um, Kiefer Sutherland was in town doing um, a music tour. and. I worked at a local restaurant here in town and he'd, I'd come in for work at that evening around four or five o'clock, getting ready for my shift. And the boss tells me, you'll never guess who came in here for brunch today. Kiefer Sutherland. I was like, no way. Cause he's like, he's a huge star. Huge. Sure. Yeah. Um, huge Jack Bauer. Come on. Exactly. Um, so I was like, that's really cool. And then they're like, he was asking if we serve dinner here. So keep your eyes open. Maybe he'll come back. And I'm thinking he probably won't, but he was probably just being nice. Um, there was another, at brunch time, another table that offered to pay for his meal when they saw who he was. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
he said he very graciously said no but give me their bill i'll pay for their bill mm-hmm. good good guy right so he, yeah I, I get a phone like, call. like he needs a free meal jesus no exactly I, that's one no. thing i don't get is why would you offer to pay for somebody who's rich as food yeah i mean it's obviously an excuse just to try to talk to them it's an, it's a, you're you're assuming that these are going to come and talk to you after that. Yeah. And they owe you something then. Yeah. It's no different than a guy trying to buy a girl a drink in the bar and then expecting her to like hang out with him or, or, or buying or a more, host a drink. Or buying a host a drink. Uh, how long is it going to be? A uh, half an hour. Ah, uh, what if I buy you a drink? 35 minutes. Like, yeah, no, don't buy me a drink. I'm so <laughs> reluctant to accept people's uh, free drink offer. Yeah, I'll, I'll never. I want the drink, but then you, they, they think that they have some kind of hold over That's some right. power over you, and I don't like that. That's right. And then they'll go and complain about you if you don't give them what they want. But anyway. <laughs> but no one's bitter. Complaints. I've had my share yeah. of complaints. That's why I'm bitter. Um, oh, I know. Anyway, it's probably around Dinner service is starting. I have probably like three or four tables in the restaurant and the phone rings and uh, it's the other owner of the restaurant. And he's like, look out the window, look out the door to the like the left. Kiefer Sutherland is walking towards the restaurant. And I'm like, I look at the phone and I'm like, where the hell are you? (laughs) Where are you seeing this? You're not even here. (laughs) But I look out the window. There he is. So I'm like, okay, get it together. Be be super cool. (laughs) Don't be a pig nerd. Be super cool. They'll be a big nerd. That's good. That's yeah. That's good. And I was just like, okay, be be a pro. Just treat him. You know, you just want to treat him like a normal guy because that's what he wants, right? That's what everybody right. wants. Yeah. Comes in and he's with his assistant, and they're coming in for dinner. So I get them a table that's just you know, not. It's not completely hiding, but it's just like a little bit further away from everybody else. No big deal. Nice intimate table. Um. He has no special demands or anything like crazy. He did ask if he could have like a, a lighter kind of salad dressing than what we had on our salad. So we made that happen for him. We just made him, you know, an, another type of dressing. But he was so kind and gracious and he didn't need a lot of attention. Um, <clears throat> he just said, you know, I just, he goes, Is, I wanted to come back here. I already was here for breakfast and I wanted to come back because I just needed a nice home cooked meal and food here was great. So yeah, I was just like, oh, well, it's so nice. And then he goes, tell you what, he goes, can this lamp, we have a lot of vintage lamps on each table in the restaurant. Yeah. And he's like, this lamp right here, do you think it'd be all right if I bought this lamp from you guys? <laughs> I'm like, uh, well, let me call my boss. I'll find out for you. Boss says, he can have the lamp. Just ask him to like autograph the table or something. But he can, yeah. he can just take the lamp. That's fine. So I tell him this, and he's like, he goes, tell you what, you know what I'll do? I will, I will sign the table, but I'm going to give you a hundred bucks for the lamp too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of guy he is. And of course, like, so there was that. And then he tipped me like huge. Yeah. <laughs> like he was like a really good tipper. So fantastic beating the guy i wanted to ask him at the i figure if i had asked him for a picture at the end he probably would have said yes but i did not want to bother him so i didn't of course. do it i didn't do yeah, it yeah 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 no that's right i, I could yeah yeah and he was he just like thank you he's like i had a really he's like i had a really good time thank you so much to me and then he touched my elbow when he was telling me that and i'm like <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and then I go home and then I watch his TV show, uh, Designated Survivor. Look at I was like, I was like, Designated Survivor, so good. Thank you, Kiefer Sutherland. I can't believe I met you. So that's that's probably my that's the most famous person I've ever served in a twenty three year twenty three years of restaurant industry. Yeah, I had. Uh, do you remember? This would have been about uh, two thousand and ten, eleven. John Malkovich shot a movie in Edmonton. Which movie was it? I can't remember. It was not a remember. It was not a memorable one because it hasn't. I don't remember which movie, but he did. And so I had his daughter come in to karaoke. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what she she and I wouldn't have even known except she put on her karaoke slip, Amandine Malkovich. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. And What's her first name? Amandine. Amandine. Yeah. A M A N D I N E. Oh, okay. This, this was in 2013. Okay, 2013. Whatever it was. Somewhere in there. I just Googled it. The movie is called Cut Bank. Okay. Okay, sorry. Continue. Okay, so she comes in and she uh, uh, puts up her karaoke thing and she's like, look, why am I not singing right now? Like, why am I not singing now? It's, well, it's not really how it works. And she's okay. So she went and she just like would grab the microphone out of people's hands and start singing and things like that. Oh, and I had to karaoke. Yeah, favorite people. I had to right. explain to her like you can't, you can't do, you can't do that. And she got a little upset, and then she asked for some kind of eighteen dollar uh, glass whiskey that we didn't have. And she's in a then, dive bar. Like, what does she expect? Well, she she knew she was in a dive bar because she tried to light a cigarette right in front of the DJ booth. She was just sitting down at the table and she just lit a cigarette. This person sounds like, completely oblivious to normal, to normal life. Yeah. And I, when I put her name up, I put it up as Amandine because I just thought that's what I would do. And she corrected me, no, it's Amandine Malkovich. I'm like, okay, cool. And afterwards, I thought, well, maybe she's a big deal herself, but she's not. <laughs> she's not at all a big deal. So what's she, apparent here is that this, she, wants, she wants attention. I, for sure. That's what's sure. apparent here. She wants everyone to know who she is. Yes. That's the yeah. worst. And nobody and nobody picked up on it. I definitely I hope, I hope nobody gave a fuck. That I would know be well, so funny. You know exactly where I'm talking about. She came into it and nobody gives a fuck with it. So no, nobody gave a fuck. I love <laughs> that no one gave a fuck. That just makes I very purposely didn't give a fuck. I went out of my way to not give a fuck. Well, she sounds like a true kind of treasure, guy. like a delight. Yeah, she's good. Delight. I like these. I like these stories. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good one and a not so good one. Yeah, um, I don't know if I've ever met a celebrity that was a dick that I can think of. You've never met a celebrity that was a dick? That was a jerk. I don't think so. I think everyone I've met has been fairly kind to me. Wow, I've met a few that were dicks. I don't know. I'll, uh, I, I, whatever. Maybe for another show, I'll think of somebody. Yeah, this is okay. This that's gonna this this has that has to be a, a show topic is celebrity interactions. Because yeah, I got a few dicks. I lied. I lied. I know the the very worst encounter I ever had. Hang on you? to that. Hang okay. on to that. That's gonna be that's, that's gonna be day. fodder. That's another day. He's a Canadian keep... hip hop star. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh, Canadian wow. rapper. I've got a secondhand story about that too. Okay, good. 
See, we we're go. just we're just mining uh, mining content. <laughs> and the funny thing is, this person would have been uh, probably perfect for the podcast because I think his career was big in the like late nineties, early two thousands. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd love, love to do a show about how he's a dick and publicize it. Okay, oh, that's so great. We're talking about Jackal. We were because you're coming, coming around full circle to what we're talking about. That's nice. I, I feel that uh, there's a few Jackal songs we should definitely share during this episode. So 100%. Yeah. What's your favorite uh, tune by them? Well, uh, my favorite one by Jackal is Secret of the Bottle. Secret one, of the Bottle. Two. Three. I feel better when I'm drinking. It just seems to ease my mind. And all my worries and troubles, they just seem to fade behind. Like that in 2000 jesse uh did a solo album called foot fetish foot fetish foot, fe foot fetish yeah I, i'd like to know about those tracks <laughs> looking That's at the cool. titles looking at the song titles on there doesn't sound too uh too uh sex foot sexy foot no there's got to be something behind that that name further to what we than what we know yeah yeah, one song title is called First Taste of Freedom. Maybe Toes Taste Like Freedom or something. I don't know. Well, I, I think that's probably true. Yeah, I don't know. I've never sucked a toe before. Well, didn't know time like the present, I suppose. Oh, now is the worst time. That, well, I guess that worst... would be the worst time. No, I'm socially distancing myself from fun. From from any kind of foot foot sex. Well, I, I, I would hope so, but I mean, as, I mean, if you were to make Tinder dates now, they, I mean, you'd, you'd have them all lined up for like June fifteenth or whenever this is all done. <laughs> I've been wondering what the what's going on on those Tinder sites now. Are people having meaningful conversations? I that's a good question. Actually, that crossed my mind as well. Like, is that is that uh, still a thing? It's got to be. People won't. Still, if anything, they'll be on there more. I, I think wonder they'd be if on that, there more. I wonder if that drives unhealthy social contact. Hmm. 
I think people who are up to taking risks would probably do something dumb like that. But then there right. might be people who just maybe they'll maybe they'll do a Zoom chat and like cyber get down. <laughs> oh yeah, well, it, it's what Instinct called digital get down. Digital get down is that that's, is that what the kids are calling it now? Well, they did then. Yes, yes, that's digital good. get down. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it might, might be something like that, you know. But this yeah. is the Jackal episode, so we can get... It's a, a Jackal episode, and yeah. And that's when... I mean, if you look up the pictures, and I'll, I'll admit I have looked up the pictures, they're totally 90s hair metal star pictures, just with Wiener out. So, you know. So when I... I, I should... I was going to say, I don't think I want to put the Wiener out on our social media. Well, you just have to have to put a put a happy face over it. Okay. Yeah. So if I search Jesse James Playboy. Yeah. There you Dupree, go. Dupree. There's another Jesse James there that uh, the one Sandra Bullock was married to. Playgirl. Yeah, that guy. Playgirl. That guy's a piece of shit. That's what I've heard. Cheating bastard. Why is it I search Jesse James and all that comes up is Brett Michaels? I don't know. I guess oh, they're pictures of Brett Michaels. Oh, that's because he was Brett Michaels was on the cover of that issue. Oh, okay, fair enough. Let's play with the world's sexiest rockers. Poisons Brett Michaels a body to die for. And then in the the bottom left corner it says exclusive Jackals Jesse Dupree gets naked. Well, well that's nice. Well that's nice. But but I don't see the photo anywhere oh. on a Google image search. That the internet's supposed to have everything. Well, it is. That's what I've always understood. That anything you need, it has it. Even stuff you don't want. It has all the see, things I don't want. This is how I know that uh, that uh, Google is a is a, a listener is an eavesdropper. Because I just put in Jesse James, and the only thing that came up was Jesse James Dupree. So it's been listening to me speak about this for the last little while. Not Jesse James the Outlaw, not Jesse James the Motorcycle Builder, Jesse James Dupree. That's right. Who's like Jesse James? I... There you go. <laughs> oh, and then all of, sudden, all of a sudden there's a random photo of John Bon Jovi, which just cleansed the palate for me. Thanks, John. You wholesome. <laughs> Oh, was a, Naomi, how did you not find this? What? It didn't come up. That's what? the first. That's the first photo result. Okay, what did you search? I searched Jesse James Dupree nude. Oh, nude! I just searched Playgirl at the end of that. Nude. Here, here, here you go again. Yeah. Okay, I'm finding it. I'm finding yeah. it now. Now let's let's take a look at that. Okay. Um, how old is he here? He's probably like in his mid-twenties. Yeah, something like that. He looks a lot like uh, in his face, like, like um, holy shit, there's like three pictures of him. Yeah. And there's, there's literally one picture of his dick resting between his guitar and his leg. <laughs> <laughs> the standards were different in the 90s. Well, then... Yeah. Sorry, kids. 
Yeah. Sorry. sorry. Wah, wah, wah. But I wonder how... In the car that turned off. I wonder how that did for album sales. I think everybody already had the album by that time. Whoever was going to get it. Yeah, whoever was going to get the album bought it by that point. You know who should have done uh, Playgirl? The, the drummer from Slaughter. Oh, he was pretty. Yeah. He was, was very he pretty. Blas, Blas, Blas Elias. Is that how you say, say Blas Elias? I've always yes. wondered how to pronounce that. Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, he was like those chicks in Poison. He was, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of hair metal dudes who didn't wear makeup. But there were a lot that did. Did I don't think yeah. Slaughter ever wore makeup. No, no, I don't think so. They were past that point. That was more of an eighties affect. Yeah, the makeup the makeup seemed to be coming off in the uh, very early nineties. Well, I mean, that was a new generation of bands that they no longer identified as hair metal. Like, I don't think they saw themselves as hair metal from like the Motley Crue aesthetic and the poison aesthetic and the rat aesthetic but they were they, they were just a rock band now even though it's the same sound more or less same sound no no, no they weren't cutting their hair yet not yet no That's no and then when metallica cut their hair that was the one of the big ones you remember that when metallica cut their hair that was the huge oh my god it's the end metallica cut their hair i feel like that was that was a big one i think yeah. I mean, different bands here and there had been cutting their hair all along. I don't think Metallica cut their hair until like the 2000s. It was later. I believe I would, I think it's during the Loaded album. And I think that was like 2000. Uh, it was early 2000. Very early. Load would, Load would have been right around 2000. No, it would have been before. That would have been about 98. It was earlier. Because James Hetfield, didn't he? Okay, remember S&M? Symphony and Metallica. Yes. Yes. That came out after Load, didn't it? Because it so. had songs like Bleeding Me on it, which was from Load. And I think they they still had long hair then. So maybe they didn't cut their hair until like the mid 2000s Uh I thought they cut their hair on the Load album though, because the liner notes, I remember Lars is in the liner notes and he's sitting at a table and he's got sunglasses on the short hair. Okay, now I go back to the Google machine. Back to the Google machine. It was a big deal when John Bon Jovi cut his hair. And that was in 1990. Yeah, because he went, but he didn't go completely short hair. He went from long to like bob kind of thing, right? It wasn't short, short. It was. Yeah. It was like Rachel. He got a Rachel cut. Yes, yes. <laughs> was, he had to style it. Yeah. Um, 1996 was when Load came out, and you're correct. Um, when they returned with the new studio album, Load, they also came back with short hair, a vast yeah. change from the locks. So they cut way back then, then 96. I felt yeah. like it was later, but it seemed like just a physical change of cutting one's hair meant a lot to the, the image and the whole sound of the band. It's like you're, it's like they were entering into a new, uh, a new era of music for a band when somebody cut their hair in it. Do you know what I mean? Well, absolutely. It should, just, I mean, it should just be hair, but it's not. It's no, it was there. It was they kind of taking part in a new social contract. Yes. You know, like we are not one of we are not one of. A lot of people looked at it as we are not one of you anymore. We are one of these now. 
And I think that was jarring for a lot of fans. For for the, the Deans and Terrys out there that were loving it. Oh, and then you're going to get the people who call out sellout. Oh, you're yeah. sellout. Because you cut That's your right. hair, you're sellout. So, even just calling somebody a sellout to me, I, I find very disengaging. I don't like anyone calling anyone a sellout just because they've changed something. Sure. People grow and they change. Why should you expect someone to be exactly the same as they were 20 years ago? No, nah, nobody is. No. Nobody is, and you shouldn't expect them to. So when I hear people go, oh, that band sold out, I'm like, yeah, fuck you. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Like, fuck off. How many, how many songs did you release, buddy? People, people grow and they change. And the thing is, if a band's going to just write music that's just to make money, that's their prerogative. But that'll, in the end, you know, they might make some money, but it won't pay out for them cre- creatively. And they'll figure that out on their own. Sure. They, if they're going to be unhappy with the decision they made to just make money, they'll figure that out on their own. And yeah, many won't be. Many will just take the money and be cool with that. I would be. Then they Give just... Money. Yeah, it's like they make all the money. They have the house on the hill. They got all the things that they wanted to buy, but then they decide to be real to themselves and then they make a creative album that's coming from the heart and then it doesn't sell any copies, but at least they made it. That's right. And then they don't let the guy from Extreme sing for Van Halen anymore and they get the old guy back. Can we do an episode just about Gary Sharon singing for Absolutely. I'm, I'm one of three people in the country who bought that album. I saw somebody post about list the other day. They're like, day something of quarantine. I listened to Van Halen 3. <laughs> and I said, I just commented. I was like, I, I actually haven't listened to it, which is very strange because I'm a huge fan of Extreme. Sure. And I haven't listened to Van Halen 3. Maybe that's what I'll do this afternoon. I'll listen to Van Halen 3 while I'm getting my face ready for my online dates with my friends tonight. I've Fair decided on. on Saturday nights I'm going to actually get dressed up like I'm going out okay so, well, I, that's... so that i still feel like a healthy human being oh not me i'm going for it healthy i'm still in sweatpants i'll be in sweatpants for the next week till 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 the till the waistband rots off and then i'll put on a new pair Um, okay, so I got a grocery order. I accidentally left the meat out on the counter. I had to throw oh, no. it out. 
so I had to throw out like $35, $40 worth of meat. Ah, okay. It killed me because I just don't have that kind of money to be throwing out. You could have should just cooked it. No, I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to end up in the fucking emergency room right now. But if you cook it, though, you'd be okay. No. Okay. All right. I, I've Googled. I Googled everything. No. Okay. All right. Okay. Once, once the toxins are created, they can't be cooked out. Okay. Okay. So there's that. And then, um, so I'm like, I accepted it. I moved on. So I'm starting to run out of meat. And, I, and I'm not, I can't, I love vegetables, but I need meat. I need like a, when I, when I sit down to a meal, I want meat, potatoes, vegetables, something from different food groups. Right. Um, and I'm like, shit. So I ordered a bucket of KFC. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm by myself. So right. I ate some of the KFC fresh and then I put some in the freezer uh -huh. to make it spin out. And then my sister's like, that's not going to be good when you reheat it. But actually, if, once you, if you put it in the oven and on some okay, all right. oil on the bottom and it'll crisp it up, it'll be fine. You need Just to, like you, this room, you need, this is I don't fine. think you need to add oil to, to, uh, to KMC. I'm not going to add oil to it. Just, oh, just put it on, on the foil in the oven. Foil. Oh, 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 oh foil. Like they said, oil. Okay, foil, yeah. Yeah, I stick Much oil. Better. I stick oil in my oven. <laughs> put, put oil on my KFC. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be on my 600-pound life when I get out of quarantine if I put oil on my KFC. KFC would be better. It just doesn't have enough oil. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and don't and grab the salt too they never make this salty enough it's it's perfect the way it is it is yeah the, oh i i like i like different fried chickens in town um one i really i like that church's chicken i find that one really good i haven't had that one i've, I've heard people talk about the popeye's chicken i think mean, popeye's, popeyes popeyes is also quite good what i don't like at popeyes is their side dishes oh i like to get good side there? They're just blah. They're just, oh. they're not very flavorful. They just, they seem like really just cheap ass side dishes. I just need a good but The chicken's good. Cool. It's not too bad. The coleslaw's not too bad. But hey, I just, I always go back to KFC. I always end sure. up there. Now KFC, and everyone will tell you that KFC is not the same as it was when you were a kid. Right. Now, is it our taste buds have changed or is KFC literally not as good? I, well, the I think Colonel it's, died. Just, it's different. I don't know if it's cheaper, probably. I'm not sure. But Shortcuts. I don't know. I don't think it's as good as it was. I don't, but again, maybe like everything is better when you're 12. I don't know. Everything is better when you're 12. Yeah. The world is bigger and cooler when you're 12. Yeah. yeah. And you haven't, you haven't yet been crushed. Your spirit hasn't yet been crushed by the reality of life. Yeah. And on that note, how are we for content? <laughs> I figure we should tell a little bit more about the uh, jackal. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like having conversations with you because we really go off topic. For sure. We never stay on topic. Um, what else can you say about jackal? What else can I say about jackal? Well, I don't know. I jackal was one of the 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 nineties new uh, incarnation of hair metal. I mean, you had the pioneers, you had Marvin, you had poison you had those kind of guys and then the new generation uh attached it to something else like jackal was sort of like southern hair metal which yeah. uh, wasn't really around before like warrant was more traditional to the traditional hair metal vibe uh 
but as far as I think, I think hair metal might have been viewed by southern some southern people and music fans as soft, and I think Jackal took that out of it. Jackal was not floofy hair metal, although the guy did. I mean, what am I saying? The guy did pull his wiener out in the magazine, so. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> but it was it was all about toting guns. That was the other thing they did during the show. They used to shoot a shotgun. Where did they shoot it? Like they had a blank, they put blanks in it, but he used it as a mic stand. And then when it was time, he pulled the microphone attachment off of it and shot the goose gun. Hmm. Yeah, that was a part of that was a big part of the live show. And I remember there was a problem with that because, because I mean, you're shooting a gun inside, you can still do that in the 90s, but there was still problems with it. You can probably still do that in America. Who knows? Oh, maybe I don't know. I don't know how gun rules work in, in the U.S., but I'm sure they're drastically different from here. Well, I um, would imagine so. Jackal's still together. Yeah, they're actually, if you search on YouTube, Jackal's got a few videos. I watched one actually just yesterday. And ja- yeah, and Jackal had a, like this little 10-year-old drummer kid come out on stage and he played I Stand Alone with him. And the kid was awesome. Sweet. Yeah. In 2010, the band completed their release titled My Moonshine Kicks Your Cocaine's Ass. <laughs> okay. Great band. Uh, great album name. wonder if we can get one of them on the show. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll message I'm, them up. I'm, I'm sure that you could. I'm sure that you could. The other, uh, actually, the other notable Jackal occurrence that if anybody wants to watch is fantastic. And if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Jesse James Dupree did the Tom Green Show. And oh, yes, and he brought out his chainsaw and he cut up Tom Green's desk. And Tom Green gets legit choked like, legit. What did upset. he expect? This is my question. I don't know. And Tom Green should be the guy of all the people on earth that is cool with people doing a stunt, right? But he does Tom, work, he does just as bad shit to people and worse, yeah, and worse. And but no, Tom Green gets really, really upset, and Jesse James handles it like a pro. Like you think he's a dumb redneck, and he is absolutely not. It's fun. It's it's great. Check it out. I feel like I've seen that. I feel like, but I'll watch it again. I uh, oh, what do you remember? I think the most memorable scene for me on the Tom Green show was um, the Slutmobile. Yes. Yeah. Took his I mean, dad's cart and uh, painted <laughs> it with uh, ladies' cool uh, stuff. Yeah ladies going down on each other i think they're in the 69 formation or is it some sort of something like that dad why don't you like your slut mobile dad you told me you like sluts (laughs) (laughs) not on my car (laughs) mom why do you hate lesbians do you hate lesbians mom yeah (laughs) yeah i watched that so many times my dad would legit killed me though my dad would legit hit me with something for sure uh, he had he had a budget in, at that point in the show, didn't he, to be able to pull that off? He was still a Canadian broadcaster, though. I don't think. Yes, he was, um, that was still out of Hamilton at that time. Was he on uh, public television? How? Where was he started? He? he started off on public television, and then they picked him up on Rogers in Ontario, and mm-hmm. then he went to MTV after that. And now I think nothing was the same when he went when he went to MTV. I didn't. No, it wasn't as good. And Freddie Got Fingered was a terrible movie. That just, it just, it was too much. It was too much. I think I saw it, but I don't remember it, which is fine. You, I'm sure you remember the 
Daddy, would you like some sausage? Daddy, yeah. would you like some sausage? Yeah. So everybody knows that part. Everyone knows that line, I think. A lot of people. <laughs> Everything coincides. My life coincides with my background right now the, of the meme. The meme of the uh, little dog sitting in the fire. This is fine. This is fine. <laughs> Analog Brewing, winner of three awards at the 2020 Alberta Beer Awards, is a proud sponsor of the Dope Nostalgia podcast. Analog Brewing is now offering delivery within the city of Edmonton with no delivery fee on orders over 40 bucks. Go to analogbrewing.ca slash shop. That's www.analogbrewing.ca forward slash shop and place your order today. When placing an order, you could also pay it forward and take part in their Nurse a Pint program and prepay for a pint for a nurse. Mention this podcast in the order comments so they know we sent you. Analog Brewing, taking beer to the next level. Tamagotchi. That's Lisa. Oh, thank you, Lisa. She yes, she, <laughs> yes, she does. She's distracting. Is she? Yes. Oh. Well, no, we had so a, we had tornadoes in our town uh, last Sunday night, and it was really bad. And luckily, it was my house and my mom's house and my brother's house, but uh, it destroyed everything else. So we're lucky oh. to be tonight oh, on this. Oh man, you're in South Carolina, you said? Yes. What part of Canada are you guys in? Western Canada. We're up in Edmonton. Okay. Yeah. You know, in the book I sent you, I have several Canada stories. Good. Good. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. So I've already started the show. So I want to welcome you, Jeff. Okay. Hey. Uh, I want you to meet Colin. Colin's our co-host on this episode. Hi, Jeff. How are you, man? Hey, brother. Nice to yeah. meet you. Big Jack Big fan. fan, this guy. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so and Don't hold it against him. <laughs> He's a brother. You know what? You've already won my heart right off the bat because you sent me copies of your two books right away once we talked about doing this. So no filter. Yes. This is, this is probably, this is a bio, isn't it? No. Not, not exactly? 
it, 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 but it, we, you, it show, it's just little stories of the things that's happened to us over our career, my career. Oh, um, it's going to be good. And it starts kind of like from the now and goes to the beginning, sort of. From beginning to end. And that's just part one. Part two, I hope to be done with by Christmas of this year. Oh, wonderful. Especially since I'm sitting on my butt. You now got some and, time? <laughs> well, we, you know, we'd be 40 show, 50, you know, we've already, we luckily played a three before the shutdown because of the virus. Um, but tonight I would probably be in New Mexico, I think. So we'd be doing it from the bus. But no, mm. we're sitting on our butts. And How I'm, long have you been in uh, quarantine? Well, here's the funny part. When I'm not on the road, I'm normally in quarantine regardless. <laughs> right, <Okay>? right, right, right. <laughs> because we spent, you know, we play over 100 shows a year, 150 shows sometimes, and, and you know, it just depends. Um, always over 100. So when we come home, I just stay home. Right. And I live way out in the country. Uh, me and my brother, you know, we live in a town called Seneca, South Carolina, right next to a college, uh, Clemson University, which is kind of a big college in a football town in the United States. And then Jesse, our singer, Jesse Dupree, and Roman live in Atlanta, which is 126.4 miles from my mailbox to Jesse's. Trust me, we've been together for 30 years. I know every single foot of it. Uh, but they live in Atlanta where our office is in Atlanta. So right. we're all down south here. But uh, I've been home. We, we, besides those three shows, we take usually January and February off. And then we tour the other 10 months. Um, this year, though, our last show was December 21st, and that's coming out as a DVD uh, in, from Kansas City, live Christmas show. Uh, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC comes out and jams with us. Oh, great. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we just did a new song. We've, we've been productive in our off time, so we just did a new song for his new record, first one in, I'm guessing, 30 years of the uh, Run DMC record. So wow. we are, we're on it, and there's going to be a lot of artists on it, but, you know, we're the lowly little turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but we were but he come down, and we did that in February before all this happened, and we managed to get three shows, mm -hmm. and then that was it. So, you know, we'd be – we've because we do a lot of biker events, right. tons of that stuff, and they've canceled Myrtle Beach Bike Week. Um, Sandusky, which is huge for us, that's 30,000 people. Um, and then, but they think, well, Sturgis will go, and then we should, you know, who knows? Sturgis, I was, uh, I've, he I've heard about. I think we have a few friends up here that like to go visit that one because it's fairly close. Well, close to you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're normally on the road, and we go in. You know, we, we did that TV show. Um, do you know about the Full Throttle Saloon TV show? Full Throttle Saloon, I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's from Mike's place, and it burned down. I mean, I don't know what kind of order you guys want to talk about this stuff in, but uh, yeah. But as far as the quarantine, um, except for three shows, we come home at Christmas, and I've been home. Um, but we're, we're discussing our new record, and me and my brother live side by side, and because of things like this, not like in the old days when we did our first record. You had to all come together in a room, right? Right. Mm -hmm. we, we can now send out, me and my brothers have a studio in my backyard. He lives on the other side of me in South Carolina, down the sticks. And we can go down there. I know it sounds funny in my country accent. <laughs> we can do our demo tapes and send it to Jesse to tell us what we did wrong. 
<laughs> and the lyrics with it, and Roman, and then we can vice versa. But we wouldn't record anything unless we meet, you know, face to face. But um, other than that, we're waiting to see when we can go back out and play. No, I was. You were mentioning Atlanta a moment ago. I heard today on the news they're going to open up Georgia. Oh yeah. Well, they're going to have to. I do this. This is here's real, real, realistically. We're not going to be able to stay in quarantine. People's got to go back to work. It's just going to be instead of everybody's. I hope I say this politically correct enough for me. Um, if you think you're going to get sick, you're going to have to keep your butt at home and everybody else is going out and work or we're not going to have any kind of foot. It's just going to be way worse than that. And I think it's kind of overblown, but I'm not taking, I would rather not go political with this, but. Of course, no. I'm over it. I'm ready to talk. Okay, let's just speak for Jill. I'm, okay, look, I'm ready. I don't care if I'm looking at an operating room of people with masks on. I'm ready to hit the stage and jam. That's just how it is. Right. And I'm not, and I'm not wearing one, okay? Because I can't sing through. <laughs> so, no, I'm just, you know, I want people to be safe, but you know, a lot of it's rearing its ugly head now. And I will say this: that is very few people that are really good shape and do the right thing. And I'm not talking about having a drink every now and then. I'm talking about just having bad health and smoking tons of cigarettes and vaping your ass off. The smoke comes out your ass. You know, some of that stuff you might need to cut back because you literally, I quit drinking six months ago because I'm not because of my health, but because, um, you know, I have a lot of things going on. I, but this sent me back. <laughs> I was going to say, you said we were going to have a drink together. So. I did, you know, but I'm not doing what we used to do because our singer has his own bourbon. And we have, you know, you go from having no money, and but now we have tons of bourbon. I don't really deal with that. But the last thing I'll say is I'm over it, is all I'll say. That's all right. I'm doing. I'm over it. it. We can't do this forever. It can't, it's not realistic. No. You know, not to no. people can't lose everything they've got, you know, even if it right. was, you know, I, I just don't see it being realistic. You have to open it back up. I'm glad. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be, that's going to be the test. We're going to see what happens. I'm optimistic that was going to be okay because, you know, if I'm, I'm a history buff too and there's always something going on. You know, you, it, you know, my grandfather taught me and my dad at an early age, you know, the minute you're born, you're dying. So you better live it for every moment you got. Kind of the jackal crew, while we do what we do, it's like you take a bite out of life's ass every morning, try to be Batman as best I can. And if I get took down, that's one thing. But, you know, you got to live life. And we can only do so much as far as quarantining. We're going to have to get out there and, I guess, build up an armor shield against this kind of stuff. Right. Right. You know, that's the only way to survive. It's day well, by I'm day. To see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now interviews over. Y'all said that's enough of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I was saying I wasn't going to go there, but you get me started. And, oh, it's uh, all good. It's all good. That's just the reality. You're seeing a, guy, a rock guy that plays a hundred shows a year venting because I'm sitting on my ass in my damn living room. Well, that's a long time to be uh, off the hook. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, and the thing about it is when it goes back, you know, we do a meet and greet every night. You hear about bands charging for meet and greets and stuff. No, every night we go off the stage, backstage for a minute, get them people in line. Uh, then we go out and we shake every hand in the building and we sign anything to the end of time. We're not going to listen to your life story, but we'll listen <laughs> to some of them. But we're going to shake every hand and we're going to tell everybody we appreciate you. And we've been doing that for a long time. I mean, we've, that's just what we do. 
And that's really the cramped style of all of this is what we're going to miss doing that. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that's going to turn out because people like to touch and hug and sugar and take pictures and kiss and get up all in your face. And I love it too, but you know. Yeah. Well, they, they say uh, after this is done, part one of the social implications that's going to happen is going to be the death of the handshake. So we'll see if that's, uh, we'll see if I that's tried to shake enough. a dude's hand in Walmart earlier. I was like, hey, man. Fantastic. I mean, it ain't going to last. You know, people's going to be shaking hands. You know what? Here's my, here's why I'm optimistic about it just being something that we learned a lot about and we'll move on. And here's what I'm optimistic about. Sex. I don't know how you're going to do that six foot apart. <laughs> and you're not going to stop people from doing no, that? No, there's not a disease made in mankind history from the day Adam and Eve set foot on earth that stopped people from, what's your rating on this show? Oh, it's high, hard, hard as you want, man. Stay fuck it. it. People's <laughs> going to fuck or get a goddamn what difference it makes. It's just, it's going to happen. So that's going to blow all that shit out the water. <laughs> He's so right. It's awesome. just what it is. It's I'm not stopping. stopping. You know, if I had a missile coming in, I t if, my, if we knew, well, my daughter's here. That's why I put them in the back of the house. <laughs> you know, if a nuclear missile's coming, I'm going to try to go out fucking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jesse, yeah. our singer, would say that same crap, too. <laughs> That's actually one thing I was going to ask you about. I, we're, we're going all out of order here, but I just have so many questions for you. I'm sorry, uh, but go ahead. I'm sorry. You, you, you know, y'all can scratch it, but this is what you get when you get one of no, us. No, man. That's, this, <laughs> this is, is how what we I do love. it, man. This is how we do okay, it. Okay, go ahead. I'll let you lead. Go ahead. Back, uh, back in the day when, uh, when Jesse posed for Playgirl, I was always interested in how that came about. Did, did your management approach Playgirl? Did they come for Jesse? How did that, uh, how did that go down? And what were that? I, I have follow-ups to that. But anyway, let's start there. Okay. First off, the management part. Our record passed gold when John Kolodner, are you familiar with the great John Kolodner? Yes. Okay. The whole Playboy thing was Kolodner's idea. But first, let's back up. Um, mm, most of this is in the book. We had had to beg. Oh, there's a lot of backstory. Let me do it the short way. Um, Kolodner had told Jesse, you're up in his great Jewish, great Kolodner accent, you're going to pose for Playboy. And we're like, okay. And then, you know, he did it on stage in Long Beach Arena. Okay. Those pictures from on stage. Yeah. Because um, Jesse said, I'll do it, but I'm not doing it on a bearskin rug. You know, kind of like your regular uh, Playgirl thing. Kalandra thought it was great publicity because it was Brett Michaels' cover and then bing, bang, boom. And then the night Kalander signed us, Jesse pulled his pants off. I think that's what got us our record deal instead of any music. Um, <laughs> these crazy some bitches will do any damn thing. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it ended up, you know, Kalander had brought all that to the table and that was an opportunity. And we said, go for it, Jesse. You know, we, we don't tell each other what to do, but it, that kind of thing could be kind of construed as kind of a band decision. And uh, I personally, thought it was the greatest thing ever and uh, hell yes wow but how are we gonna do it you know not so we we're on tour with the damn yankees that's ted Nugent, tommy shaw that was our first really big tour 18 months of that and it was cool uh, but 
here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it on stage. And he would stop. He'll, I'll stop you in the set. And I'm just going to tell the cameraman to come out. And they were waiting on the wings. And, every, and we'll get them real quick. So all that went down. And Je was Jesse run off stage, though, he was completely naked and sweaty. He run all over Vince Neal. Now, that was the best part of the night. <laughs> Vince Neal was walking up the, the stairs with his girlfriend, and Jesse was trying to run across the stage naked and, and takes him out. And then we go backstage, and if you've seen any of the pictures, I think there might be one of us. I know I have it. I don't know if it's in the magazine, but it's all of us on the couch, and he's laid out like this. And we were used to seeing that because he did that shit all the time in clubs, <laughs> in clubs with three people. So 20,000 was perfect, right? But here's where it went south. Down front in the first three rows was the district attorney for uh, Orange County, his wife, and 14-year-old daughter. Oh. Okay. So we went out of town and nothing happened, and everything was great. It's the greatest! Woo! And then we went out of town and played in Sacramento and then came back to not Long Beach, but another one that's in that same vicinity. And as we start playing, SWAT surrounds the stage. SWAT guys, all standing there on my side near my amps, waiting for everything to come off. And then they arrested him and took him to the jail. Luckily, our lawyer had flew out, and uh, they put Jesse in jail. That's the night that, that we debuted the Down On Me video on Metal Show on MTV. Okay. Jesse watched it from the sale, and we were outside <laughs> in the tour bus. But, yes, he was arrested for that. And then he was supposed to do community service. No, I forget what happened, but anyway, we had to pay a fine. We've played lots of fines. You get deep in that book, you'll see the fines we've paid for this crap. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was that's what led up to that. So what's your next follow up to that? <laughs> did it did it uh, did it change your fan base? Did you see an influx of fans from that? Did it change the perception of the band? Uh, what 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 was the feedback you got from it initially when it when it came out? Okay. And this is multi-level for us. It's just so, it wasn't nothing new to us, you see, because Jesse would do that all the time. Even in clubs, I'm telling you, that was what you would see. You know, we recently found in our archives, our show that we played the last show before we went and recorded our first record in Los Angeles. And this got, we played that first record was basically all the songs we knew. You know, when John Kalodner signed us, he came into a show in Atlanta. We went, we traveled in a van, 11 people pulling a trailer from Atlanta to Los Angeles. We lived out there in South Central, a bunch of white Southern boys in crypt country. We lived there with them because it was the cheapest hotel. They took us as kind of their pets. They just never seen nothing like it. A bunch of foghorn leghorns out here. <laughs> Why? What the hell? So it was great. But we, we couldn't get the people to come look at us. We, we you could see the record company buildings from some of the clubs. You could see Geffen from the Whiskey. And we played that. And uh, nobody had come. And then we drove back. We drove back from it. Uh, we had enough money for gas and two joints. And drove from <laughs> Los Angeles back to Atlanta, 53 hours. We only stopped for 30 minutes at the Grand Canyon to get high. 
and that had to last <laughs> all the way back. Yes, so uh, we did that, and then four days later, our lawyer had convinced John Kalander to come see us in Atlanta at a show, and then we were doing good there. We were selling out any clubs and buildings. We were doing and just playing our originals, and then when right. John comes in to see that, and that's another story in itself, that night, but he had signed us that night, and we were probably, I, I think, what I've heard is the fastest signing in Gavin history because he saw us on Saturday night. And instead of waiting for Monday morning, he made his assistant go into Los Angeles and get on the keypads, go inside, get a letter of intent like a sports guy or some crap like that. Because Glutter, and you know, we didn't know it, but he used to carry around, when he signed us, the night he saw us, he didn't stay in the back. He come in with a white suit. I don't know how much you know about John Glutter. He was the white suit and the beard. He was real good friends with John Lennon. He was actually a and and working on the last record, John Lennon. He signed Aerosmith. He's the guy that brought Aerosmith up from nothing. That's how we, we ended up doing so many shows with Aerosmith. Um, but he came in and just signed us on the spot. He had no idea what he was getting himself into. After he signed us, he'd come to and listen to the songs that we were on record. And he told us, that's the worst songs I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what we got. So, you know, but, you, you know, that's what. I know I go on tangents, but no, it's great, man. It all connects, you know, yeah. but the thing with Jesse was, yeah, it was, and that ended up, nobody wanted to play. Some bands were, it seemed that that's what ended our career as far as playing with anybody that wasn't huge. Okay. Cause any band our size or down that won't have no part of some dude. Up, I mean, cause you couldn't follow it. No matter how many notes you could play, it's hard to follow a dude that's naked and running around with chainsaws and all the <laughs> shit we were doing, you know, and I understand that. Musically, way better bands. But we brought the show, you know, that's, we've always been from that thing of just as much as part of the show and then the music, because we're serious about our music too. Don't get me wrong. Right. Yeah. But we do do it with our tongue-in-cheek kind of way. A hundred percent. And and actually, that was another thing I was going to ask about the some of the stage antics. Like uh, Jesse used to have a goose gun for a mic stand. He used to fire the goose gun. Used to. We do that's every night. If we don't do that, people throw shit. This is <laughs> no. This is my question. In this day and age, with the with the sensitivity towards firearms and that kind of thing, you can still fire a goose gun, and and nobody uh, nobody gives you flack over that. It's all in the delivery. Okay. Okay, it ain't like somebody's mad up there. Plus, it's a blank. It's, it's uh, just more than a noisemaker. But by the time that that happens in our show, at the end of the night, it ain't everything. He used to shoot at my feet back in the old days. Oh, he, I'm so deaf in this ear because of the shotgun. Because, <laughs> I bet. You know, yeah. you, know he, you don't realize that Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son who died, Yeah. He got shot with what is the wadding out of the end of the gun. There was no slug or bullet. It's the wadding. Yeah. Well, that comes out of this thing. You got to shoot it up. It has come across my face. We've come to blows for that damn thing. But I understand <laughs> the importance of it. It was here's the problem. He has almost killed me with it, but it was my idea in the first place. You know. So it used to be a double barrel, and then, but he still does it. But uh, yeah, that's what we do, and the chainsaw. So we have to keep the Good, healthy insurance policy. I, w I would imagine so. Yeah, people would riot if you didn't bring the chainsaw. I mean, I was going to say, yeah, the chainsaw is like, it's, it has to be there, right? It's, or, or the show's not. If happening. we don't play the lumberjack, 
I don't even want to attempt to think about what it is. The people hate, that's what they, because, you know, let me tell you the story of the Lumberjack, and it'll kind of make you understand. The first single off that first record was I Stand Alone. And it had made a little, th they, and we begged for $15,000 to do the video in Atlanta. We begged for it. That's in the book. You can go deeper with this. And then and we did it in a weekend for I Stand Alone. And by the time that weekend was over, the video cost $1,015,000. Because we got, we got sued after Yin Yang. That's another story. So before <laughs> it even comes out, we're so far in debt, it ain't even funny. But what I do say in my book is because of the things that happened to us, we were so indebted to Gepin, they had to make us they had to make us a hit. They had to, we had to go. It was actually a brilliant plan. And I know that this shows about success in the nineties, but with us, it's in different phases because yes, this meant selling a lot of records, but you know, your record deal, if you're making a nickel a record, you got to sell 4 billion records to make a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, people just don't get it. And that, that's the old school version. Especially now. Especially now is streaming. You don't make much at all off streaming. Yeah, but when then, then the next rep thing and um, you know that the lumberjack had no lyrics in it when we went to Los Angeles to record it. The only songs once John John Kalodner got down on me. When will it rain? Who he told us before we went to Los Angeles. Kalodner said, "When will it rain?" He told Jesse, "When will it rain?" Was the worst song he's ever heard in his life. <laughs> <laughs> But then he got out there and he said, hey, where's the rain song? So Jesse wrote us, you know, you've never seen anybody so brokenhearted. And it was brilliant. And he had, okay, Down on Me, When Will It Rain, um, I Stand Alone, and Dirty Little Mind. So once those were down, we could pretty much do what we wanted to. Mm. And then Kalodner asked us, where's the Chainsaw song? And we didn't have lyrics to it. Jesse would just crank it up at live gigs and run around the club with it and cut into the ceiling. It wasn't a song. Really? Oh, so it was just a stunt and then it had to be. Yeah, we just played A one night with it and started playing this blues thing. It wasn't nothing. But we, and we didn't ever expect to record it. But John said at the final end, as we got into it, and this is, gets more deeper, we recorded that record at the a studio called Rambo Recorders in um, Los Angeles. It's in Rumbo. Part, uh, uh, it's just outside of Los Angeles, but it's owned by the Captain and Tennille. Are you familiar with the old 70s? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they own it. That's where Guns N' Roses did uh, some of their second, uh, the Usual Illusion records. Um, and when we got there to do our record, it's three studios in one building. So we showed up to do our little first record, tripping out, because we never even did a demo tape. We got signed and went straight to Los Angeles to do our first record with Brendan O'Brien. Are you familiar with Brendan? Yes. yes. Producer. He's done everybody. Yes. Okay. He's, was our, he's our buddy. I wish I could work with him again, but he's too rich now for my blood. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Brendan came out and we uh, started. And in the studio with us, though, next door was the Traveling Wilburys. Oh. Which then was Jeff Lynne, George Harrison, Tom Petty, Roy Orbison, the, four, the original first one. That's good company. Yeah. Yeah. And I say in my book, I tell the story of the day we came in from lunch and I opened the door nurse, Jeff Lynne, who's my hero. I'm an ELO freak. And George Harrison, all I could say was, hey, you know, there's nothing you can say. I was lucky to get that out. <laughs> Mouth gaped open. Hey. Um, 
but and then then for a minute was Vince Neil doing his solo record, which was like right. But for a second, and then the next day it happened to be the damn Yankees doing their third record when Ted Nugent was there. Yeah. You know, and we have stories that we almost shut that down. Ted made me and my brother unload fake deer and elk off his truck to shoot with bow and arrows. We had them off the truck two hours and Peter was out front. We almost lost our record deal before we even made the first note because of Ted Nugent. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Yeah, it was crazy from the start, but that's what we started with that. I don't know, you know, if that's, that's what I'm saying. Everything's connected, but in the, as far as our success in the nineties, it was all record sales, no money because they take all the money. And we were so far in debt, we had no manager. That was your thing. We had a gold record and then even, who's your manager? Well, we kind of are, Jesse kind of is, because he's got the loudest mouth, he's talking. And he manages us to this day. We're self-managed. Does that mean that he books all the shows as well, or is that? No, 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 no. We have a booking agency. Okay, okay, that's different. He just tells everybody but us what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've been together so long. Me and my brother live down here. There's only two phone calls. Well, there's kind of three phone calls from Jesse. And it could come at three in the morning. When we're not together, it could come any time of day. And I kind of feel it. And there's the good one, which is all good shit. Then there's the bad one, which is bad shit. And then there's the third one, which is him humming. This usually comes in the middle of the night. Hey, listen to what I just came up with on the phone, like playing guitar loud and screaming, right? But it's only two, and we don't have to have, you know, I feel, but it can only work in our circumstance. I don't think another band in the world could do it with the singers, the manager. He just knows I'll drive out and kill him. <laughs> right, and then we have we can see anything. I mean, there's no reason I can't push go and see my contract. So I know there's no funny business. You know, we know what's going on. So we we take care of him because he's going to do it regardless. We lost another million dollars. That's what I was getting to because we had no manager and I was shooting through the roof because of that song. So the lumberjack kind of made a little splash. Never thought of it as a single. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, record stores are selling out in Oregon, Alaska, places in Canada, anything where there's lumberjacks. Okay. <laughs> then all sure. of a sudden, there's millions of lumberjacks buying it. And they're kind of people that would never, old dudes that would never, and mostly guys, that would never in a million years care about it. They, could, they couldn't tell you another song. Oh, my dad loves it. My dad's 74, and he loves it. He and those kind of people still come to our show. We'll have kids down front and look dressed up like Slipknot, and then right next to them, some old boy, you like your dad and my dad, just sat <laughs> down waiting for that last song of the night. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> that goddamn guy plays a chainsaw. <laughs> exactly. And trust me, there's a blade on it. Well, you know, that... We got a DVD, on our DVD, we, the one I told you, we have the show that we played before we went out to record the record. And then, and we've been asked this over the years, and in 30 years almost of the chainsaw on stage, Jesse's only cut himself twice. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And both are on film. One's Radio City Music Hall. Some kid with a camera back in the day, it's like 95, where they sit in the balcony, you know, and you can see it go up, and then I guess somebody was changing, it went down. And uh, Jesse cut through and cut his leg. You could see the, his blue jeans 
and then once on TV in Miami on a morning show, cut clean oh. through his boot. <laughs> yeah. We laugh. I mean, people don't understand. Oh, what's wrong with these people? They're laughing at our friend. <laughs> we told him not to do it. I think possibly the greatest moment with Jesse and the Chainsaw, though, was on the Tom Green show. He really oh. got on uh, Tom Green's bad side that night, didn't he? <laughs> that cost us about $30,000. Really? Uh, no. I think more. They won't tell me the full story. Oh, no. That desk belonged to Johnny Carson. Oh. What? Yes, oh, it, it, was a, it was an iconic desk. <laughs> no, even more so now. Yeah. No, Tom Green. You know, I had respect for Tom Green. Remember the trick we used to put the turd on the end of the microphone stand yes. and interview yep. people? Now, I, like, that was not, hey, that was the thought. He was the greatest. <gasps> but the night he did that, you know, he, Jesse flew from Sturgis. And that's when we did, we had did a test run for the Full Throttle TV show doing a pay-per-view for the people that do, mid, uh, do WCW wrestling. Do you know anything about that? Yes. Well, you, I've heard of WCW Rally. Okay. Yeah. They come out to film our night at Sturgis. You know, we just did our 20th year at the throttle, 20 years in a row playing Thursday night. It, it, the, um, it's two weeks a year. First week, people kind of come in. That second week is party from Saturday night to the next Saturday night. On that Sunday, people leave town. So Thursday night's the night. And for 20 years, it's either been on Thursday night, us against CZ Top, and then predominantly us against – Kid Rock over at the Buffalo Chip, which is down the road. That's the two big venues, the Throttle and the Buffalo Chip. Mm. And um, and everybody's sold out. I mean, there's no, you can't get nobody else in. I've, I can, from the stage of the old Throttle, I played two hours watching traffic not move one inch. Just people sitting for miles waiting. Um, so uh, from doing that, we... we we did the thing with these wrestling guys, and I'm not sure what happened to that. Lawsuits after yin-yang, I don't know. But that's what led into the Full Throttle TV show. But this is our 20th year we just completed with Mike. Because we played the Buffalo Chip first. Jesse met Mike and said, we're never playing here again. We're going to play a little old place down the road called the Full Throttle. And we said, why? And he goes, you don't worry, you can thank me later. And we've been 20 years later and five years of the TV show. And I do believe they're going to go back now that the new one's in, they've been filming stuff. We've been filming stuff for the last couple of years, and but I don't. I'm the last to know about any of that. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's a fantastic gig, and it's two decades long. That's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, the, it is just it's two weeks a year, and it's a little town that holds about five thousand people, and there's a million come in. Yeah. You know, and they yeah. hate it as a town. I mean, they kind of it takes them a year to clean up. <laughs> but they make so much money it's unbelievable that's great well so back then and, and even now to this day I know you, are you guys all like married and have kids and stuff now is all the debauchery done or how bad were you guys were you scandalous back in the day well we, let me, I'll put it this way Stephen Tyler told us one night <laughs> You know, all the stuff y'all heard that y'all think y'all got a beat was fake. <laughs> you don't really have to do that. Um, we've done our share. We've had our, you know, but we still have fun. Don't We will never not. But we do have kids. Yes, I have a 14-year-old daughter and a 30-year-old son in his own band. 
Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. And then Jesse, uh, my brother has three boys. They're more sports oriented. Two of them are in sports, football players. And then Gage, my nephew, he's in a band. He was our road manager for the last couple of years. Now he's in his own band. Mm -hmm. He plays guitar like his Uncle Jeff. My son, though, plays drums like his Uncle Chris. Ah. And then Roman, our bass player. Now, Roman, you guys know Roman Glick was in a band called Brother Kane before he joined us. Yes. Oh, Brother Kane. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that band. Yeah. 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 Roman hated us. He hated our guts before he joined the band. He'll tell you <laughs> straight up. Because they were our opening band back when we thought you were supposed to push the opening band off the front of the stage. <laughs> okay, we didn't know no better, but you know, he was the first guy after Je- uh, Rome, I mean, after Tom Bettini and Jimmy Stiff quit the band, and we decided no other guitar players. Jesse always wanted to try to play guitar on the stage, and we've been going through that route for the last 20 years. Um, but uh, then we tried out one guy, and it was Roman. And you better quit that vaping. <laughs> Unless there's weed in that vaping. I'm in Canada, it's legal here. It's totally legal. I know it is, that's why. We did our second record in Vancouver. Oh, did you? Yeah, at Brian Adams' studio. And then Jesse did all the vocals and we did the guitar leads at Brian Adams' house. At the warehouse studio? Yes, absolutely. We almost burned it, we almost burned it down. <laughs> With the shotgun microphone. With the shotgun microphone. See, that yeah. chaos follows you everywhere. I love it. Well, here's what happened. We were down at the warehouse, the, the one that was in the warehouse studios down at the docks in Vancouver, down near the water. Go across the bridge. That's not Brian's house. That's where he did the tracks at the studio. Mm-hmm. And all the Canadian kids in there that night when we recorded were looking at that shotgun microphone. Okay, this is in the book. So... At some point, they talked, at that point, Jesse Dupree's brother, Danny, was our road manager. So one of the guys working there said, is this a real shotgun? Did it shoot? Danny said, blanks. So they went out back of the studio and fired it off. <laughs> then we're recording. We're, we take a break. We're in there getting high, eating. And then we see the little red light. There's a little red light that tells you somebody's at the door so it don't disturb the taping process. We're there and there with the great Bruce Fairburn and Mike Frazier. Okay, then I go, send me to the door. It's a little square thing. I open it. The entire police department and fire department of Vancouver sitting out there. Not people, not your flunkies. They done got people with suits on out of the bed. Okay, and I I shut it. And I go to Fairburn and I go, hey, something's bad going on. And they open the door, they come in. And they want to know what's going on. They seen somebody shot a gun outside. Ah. Uh, and then they yeah. take Jesse in there. They find the microphone stand. They take him into the control room, which is right. You know that control rooms are in a glass, and they're, they're you can't hear on the other side. So we're watching him say something to these guys. I remember the one the police chief said: "Either tell me what made the boom, or I'm gonna start investigating this smell in the air." we just point to jesse he'll tell you he'll do yeah and then it went and then they found it and then the police chief come in there and told us look right across there about 100 yards away was a pile of sulfur the size of mount saint helens and if one spark would have hit that it would have burned down the entire port of vancouver (laughs) yeah so it took us two days to get over that i bet (laughs) 
but that's a true story. And then they finally left, but they looked at that thing and they looked at us like, well, you're going to be crazy. We had no idea. It's a, we're used to being in the country shooting guns off in the air. What the hell? We right. didn't know there's sulfur. Mountains. <laughs> Mountains. <laughs> Mountains of sulfur. Yeah. No, and in Canada, guns are guns are uh, are a touchy subject in in Canada. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm sure that you did get a bit of blowback over that for sure. Well, see, but you know, the only reason it got in is because you know Jesse couldn't get into Canada because he had a record. Okay, so he took a boat. This is before, um, what's the TV show? Um, the Fisherman. Uh, Deadliest, deadliest catch. That old deadliest catch. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Jesse went to, um, at that point, this has been 20 years now, so I can say it. Um, hope, uh, he had to catch a boat. We had to go underground to get him even to Vancouver to do the record. And they held us at the airport in Vancouver for like a day because of his record. Okay. So, um, they, Jesse got on a boat, some guy in California or in Washington state, got him on a fishing boat and they brought him in the, in the boat some way to an airplane that then delivered him into Vancouver. <laughs> or maybe the airplane and the boat second. But anyway, that's what <laughs> happens when uh, Geffen Records in those days got involved with having something happen, right? And they got him in there, and he brought that with him. Otherwise, that, there wasn't no flying with that thing. We had to right. buy. A, we, we didn't. We did a song with a chainsaw on that record, and we had to buy a chainsaw once we got there. Oh, Jesus! Yeah, they and we know that's why we don't really. I mean, we've it's been about six, seven years since we've been to Canada. We're supposed to go last summer, but promoters and you know, it's not like you know. I love playing Canada, and uh, we have some great stories of Canada, mm. but. It's hard now with the way things are. We have so many days. We can. We don't even have to leave the United States. You know, I'm not going to go to South America and come home with five dollars. All right, it's just not going to happen. As bad as I want to play for South America, you know, hopefully that'll build. We're not stopping anytime soon. We're like the Stones. We're staying until we drop dead. So, <laughs> what year was your first tour of Canada? Oh God. Uh, Aerosmith, the Pump Tour, you know, that leads that we played Vancouver. And then we had two days off to go to, from Vancouver across to the next big city, which would be either Edmonton or Calgary. Does that sound right? It would be Edmonton or Calgary. Edmonton, okay. We had a day off, so we went through the Canadian National Forest through this, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. I went to sleep and woke up the next day in the back of the bus and just lifted up things. And on one side, you're looking back at the United States and just bang on this side, it's like mountains. Yeah. And just <laughs> blue water. And this is a story in the book too. We, we, that's the morning me and Jesse tried to get a mountain goat on the bus. We was giving it bread, <laughs> trying to get it on the bus. We're going to put it like, if you've been on a tour bus, the bunks are like, you got a back lounge and a door and then bunks and then a door and then the front lounge. We were going to get a mountain goat on the inside because we knew that all our rest of our band members, my brother and everybody, and a couple of our crew guys were hang up, hung over from the night before. And what better thing than wake up to than as a goat inside there, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> We're going down the road, and then a guy flags us down, and it was hilarious. And he points to a sign, and it's like two hundred fifty dollar fine for two hundred fifty thousand 
dollar fine oh. for even looking at this damn goat. <laughs> I told you, quit giving it bread, stop. Um, but yeah, so we went across there and came out. So we're talking, the first time was 95, 94, 95. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, that's a, that was a great time for rock and roll, I think. That uh, that period of time, a lot of great bands out at that point in time. What was it yeah, like with Aerosmith? Oh, we done so many things with him. It was the best, you know. With you know, Aerosmith was notorious for doing three weeks. They give the Black Crows three weeks. They give Guns and Roses three weeks. That was their thing when they rose back up from the ashes. Was three weeks to help new bands out. You know, you get no money. Let me go ahead and tell you, you get no money. Five hundred dollars a night. You're lucky to get from an opening band. You know, we're yeah. good friends with ACDC and Brian Johnson. And, you know, we've, we've, Brian's, we've done a song with Brian and we played with Brian. We, you know, have you ever heard the song Locked and Loaded? I, I haven't, no. That's our song with Brian Johnson. The first time ACDC, Malcolm and Angus let anybody work outside of ACDC with anybody. Check that out. That's on our um, I, Cut I, the I Crap record. Oh, we'll yeah. play it on the podcast. Wait. Absolutely, that song, go. goes, song goes here. Yeah, that's Brian Johnson. <laughs> What was your question? Sorry. <laughs> I, I just, I just, what was it like touring with Aerosmith? Like, okay, go back to that. Oh, the, we did three weeks and then Megadeth was taken over. This was uh, back in 94. We got to, you know, we did our three weeks and we hit it off. We got the, well, we did, we told, well, so here's what happened. We did our three weeks. We were told John Collardner, who handles Aerosmith, that was a whole Geffen thing, right? Because we owed them now millions of dollars because of all the buckles. So they can't not, that's the only reason we're talking tonight is because of the folly that happened before. So I don't have no problem telling you. They had to make us, they had to put it out there in the day, grunge is taking over. The last of the rock guys, Aerosmith though, they'd last you there forever. Um, so we take off with that, we do our three weeks, but we're getting no sound check. Our set is 15 minutes, three songs. Nothing. We yeah. don't even see the guys in the band at all. Mm -hmm. Well, we see them the first day. We got to see them. We had to play two shows in a town to be able to afford to say in the town the tour started in. Okay. So that, but they were, it was uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So, or something like that, where they were just rehearsing in the big building. And then on the third night, they do two nights rehearsals. Third night, tour takes off, we're off. They played three or four nights a week. We had to play seven nights a week so, so we could afford to be on the tour to get the soaking up of the people. That's all we needed was the exposure. That's all you get. You don't get no money, mm -hmm. right? We had to pay our bills the other way and we're still in a van, okay? We don't have a tour bus yet. We're in a van. Um, but we, do, we get on that and we do our three weeks and then we go home. But then we find out our record's starting to go through the roof. Okay, so we have, we go from in a van to starting on our first tour bus to now we're headlining. A little pl clubs, smaller buildings, we'll pick up what we can get, but let's just take our chances on the headlining, let's just start. We can make more money. If we can make $2,000 in a club as opposed to just messing with some big band for 500, let's go. There we sure. went. Okay, and Kalodner made us do that. Um, so we did that, but it's, we're moving at light speed now. And then we we're home for three days off of those first three weeks. And then Jesse Dupree calls me in the middle of the night 
This will be the third time he'll, the second time, big time, I'll tell you later, he calls me in the middle of the night and goes, guess who just called me? Not booking agents, not nothing like that, Stephen Tyler. Tyler go called and says, we want y'all for the whole tours. First time we ever done it, but me and Joe oh, just, wow. want you to finish it out. And then, but they hadn't told Megadeth. Ooh. <laughs> Megadeth finds out. Yeah, Mustang wouldn't have liked that. No, they find out at a Denny's. Oh, man. Because the next morning, they find out that we're opening this thing that they're fired from a radio show. You know, because they had raised too much stink. You just don't raise too much stink when you're opening for Aerosmith. Wow, you know? sure. Yeah. You know, you do what you do. I don't give a shit. I, right now, if I, back today, if I go back, I am as reverent and we're free and they, you know, but we got that day. We had to fly four flights to get there. There was no, we hit the stage. But when we get there, they're waiting for us in our dressing room, the band. I'll never forget this. They had bought us a stereo. Um, they had bought us a big stereo thing in a road case. And they come rolling it in and said, we want y'all. They wanted us because they have to be clean. They're clean right. now. They're the hit machine. They're paying the world. Okay. But they want us there. They found somebody they can live through by watching these dumbasses. It just reminds us of us, okay? <laughs> and that was our touring experience, and that started a lot. But we, they let us know that, and they came in. And then I remember that day, Stephen looked at us. Just Stephen Joe goes, look. And, but here's the thing. They might write the songs, but from what I gather, the boss of Aerosmith is Tom Hamilton. He's the voice really? of reason. Yes, he asked. Okay. He, he was in our dressing room, and he said, there in front of him, he said, let me ask you this. What can we do? to make this to get, so y'all can have, what do y'all, because we told them we didn't want it. That's what Jay said, we don't want it. If we got to do what we just did for those three weeks, dudes, we love you. You're our heroes, but we just can't do it. Right. And it's like, what can we do? And okay, you ready? Here's what you can do. We need a sound check because they're, they're, um, they're, road crew at that time were rock stars. They didn't want to deal with us. They get everything done early. They got their stuff just done, you know, and we didn't play that. No, you're not. Not with us. This ain't no, because we have our sights set as what? Same thing, your bosses. We're going to be your bosses someday. You guys, right? We didn't, it ain't being arrogant, but hey, but we told Tom, we, okay, we said three things. We need a sound check. And do you know we're playing 15 minutes and they're in such a bubble, 15 minutes? What? Yes! <laughs> this is what they're doing to us while y'all at the hotel. And then um, Jesse said, and I need you, and who told us we couldn't drink? They had a drug guy with them, this guy, that uh, helped them out. He was like their, he was like a counselor kind of guy. And we called him the Marlboro Man because he had a mustache look just like the Marlboro Man from the cigarette commercials. But he'd grab our drinks back those first three weeks. We was like, we couldn't do nothing, bring nothing in the building. We were read this ride act, not by the band, mm -hmm. by their guy. And then when Tom Hamilton said, what can we do to get y'all to be comfortable? Do you think we'll do what's within reason? And then uh, we did. Uh, we told him. We said the Marlboro man's got to quit. He would smell our drinks. Oh uh, no! Yeah, stuff no, like no. that. You know, and yeah, and so we played that one show that night. 
Jesse didn't have no uh, gas in the chainsaw, so it wouldn't crank on stage. So he started sawing it. And then uh, that night, Joe Perry was back behind in my guitar amps, right behind. I go back to tune, and there stands Joe Perry. Okay, the world's changing at light speed once again that day. The next day, uh, we came in and, we, oh yeah, they wouldn't let us park our bus back behind the stage. We had to park out in the crowd, out in the middle of the building. <laughs> okay, right. And then we also pulled in and we got crawled through the roof of our bus and they didn't have the right name, they didn't have our name up. And, that, and we had changed, uh, we took their name and made Jackal out of it while Steven Tyler and Joe Perry watched us do it from their <laughs> tour bus. So that day we're in, okay, they're in, that's it, they're here. Okay, whatever these little crazy bastards are doing, I want it to hear every day, it's comical. So we pull in, but after that, for that day, we go back, they fired Megadeth, got us, we told them, you know, this is the minimum. Give us 30 minutes and a sound check. The next day we pulled in, there's the Marlboro man out in the parking lot, waving us into a parking place. Somebody got on somebody's ass. And I'm in the hardcore. Oh, you got 30 minutes sound check. We giving you a 40 minutes set. And it was like everybody's idea. It went up the chain. It was all there. But hey, man, I've been the whole time. I wanted y'all to have all this. So we heard that from everybody. Like, right. Way to go, Tom. Yeah. Well, Tom, Tom probably told it. But Tom, the person that welds the hammer of, of death is Joe Perry. <laughs> <laughs> I jumped a guitar he threw backstage. He don't, if he loses his mind, then things happen. Mm -hmm. But Tom's kind of the voice of reason. But, you know, don't quote me on that. That's what I saw was my little observation. But they're the best ever. Every night was a lesson in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Same with ZZ Top. We did 18 months with ZZ Top. Did you? Yeah, that was, a, that was the antenna tour. That was multiple nights. That was 95, 96. That was multiple nights in 20,000 seat places. Okay, you, the, what keeps rock bands alive is not staying in a town after the gig. Your escape plan is having to go to the next gig. But when that's one thing when you're playing little buildings and clubs, when you're doing 20,000 people and then you can leave your shit set up and you go party and you're doing it in the same town the next night, mm -hmm. trouble ensues. <laughs> No. Well, Jeff, I'm sorry, man. I've got a commitment at eight that I was unable to move, but I'm, I'm so happy to be able to talk to you. No I'm problem. You're in the capable hands, Naomi. And brother, thank you so much. Thanks, See you, man. Nice to meet right, you. Man. Thank you. I was just going to ask a couple more things before we wrap it up here for okay. you. Okay. Um, I want to talk a bit about this book that you sent me, Dog Eat Okay. Dog. Yes, the cookbook. So, so far, I've had a chance to skim through these recipes, and I cannot wait to try a lot of the things that you guys put in here. So this was made by you and Roman. Yes. Other. Yeah, Roman Glick, yes. Roman's a genius at that stuff. Oh, yeah. He's a like great cook. So not only is there tons of recipes, but uh, where can people pick up these two books right now? At, uh, Amazon. You just put Amazon, Jackal, Jeff Worley, whatever, it'll take you to those books. All the stuff I write. And that any shows, I sign them at the shows and you can get them from the uh, jackal.com website. Good. And you can get them from my Worthy the Pirate website. Okay. So Amazon knows where it's at. I get counted then. We get a count, check. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, That's a good check for the sale. 
I need to just get it directly from you. I think, right? right from you, you can, yes. You know, I, I encourage you to get one and bring it to the show so I can sign it. And thank you so much for sending me these copies. I'm going to love reading this. You need to read it, and then, we, then, you may, and then you can text me if you want part two. Sure. Yeah, I will. I'll get in contact with you again. Um, because I know you guys, let me get this straight. You guys do, a, this show's about success of bands from the 90s. Correct. Yes, it's all you know, focused on the 90s. Well, you know, ours, we're still kicking. So, but I'll tell you this, in the 90s was the most records we'll, we sold. Mm -hmm. That was the day of record sales. You didn't make no money, but it looked good on paper. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, Elton John said it best, and he's right. You have to do 20 years gainfully employed in the music business to make any money because you got to get it all back. Yeah. It's all business, you know. There's no way to talk about this without talking business. And, you know, a lot of people start like being self-conscious bands that realize what I'm saying. Oh, my God, he's right. I signed my life away for nothing. Don't worry. We all did. You know, you just got to keep going and believe in what you do. You know? in, in the heyday of the major label, wasn't that basically what a record label, like what a contract was, was a loan? Pretty much like we're going to make It's a loan from the worst loan shark mafia you've ever got. I bet. Is what it is. It is. I wasn't lying. You get a nickel a record. When hard product, you know, hard product being a CD, whatever, mm -hmm. not digital. Hard product cost, the thing is, you know, I, we make more money now off a of digital than I've ever made off a of record. Really? Yes, because digital, you ain't got the delivery charge. Mm -hmm. You get a play, and now you don't have to be just the, the songwriter to get a songwriting royalty. You get a player's royalty off the internet. So there's a lot of things, you know, you, you hear the argument is coming from the hard product sales of bands that had made it right before the crash of all this. What we used to call Garth Brooks money which is the most I've ever heard of anybody making off a CD was a dollar and a half. Okay. If you made 50 cents, you're in the rich part. The record company sold it to the printers for $4. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they tripled their money on you right there and you still got to pay everything back times two because they hold a year back. It's just a bunch of crap. So that's what I was going to say. And I'll leave you with this. I, we're one in a million, and I'm so glad for where we're at, and I'm so appreciative of my, the way we've been able to finagle our career through everything. Um, but, you know, we've got the, the, the 90s, we sold a lot. It made us have the crowd we have today. It helped build our fan base, which I hate for a lot of new bands. You have no development now to build up that fan base. Yeah. That's really hard. Another thing I learned from Aerosmith was the fan base, you know, um, just a real quickly, I remember we played Fargo, North Dakota, the Fargo Dome, 40,000 people, okay? And we're in Aerosmith's dressing room, and they're looking down, and Stephen and Joe, and they, me and Jesse's there, and Stephen tells us, and you could see from the dressing room, the front row, and there was a man and a lady in their 60s and gray. And next to them was a man and woman a little younger. And next to them was two kids a little younger. And next to them kids was two kids and mm -hmm. eight, 10 years old. And Stephen said, you see those two gray haired people? They've been coming to see us since 1974. That's their kids. That's their kids. And that's their grandkids. Okay. It would bounce down the line. And when you can do that, that takes years to develop though. And it took that era. You, that can't happen now. You don't have that luxury. 
-hmm. and people that see you on the internet are not the kind of fans that want to see you. You know, every year we build more kids as fans that saw something on the internet. And when you come there and I sweat on you in the front row live, is a whole different ball game, okay? <laughs> you then you run around with your mouth gaped open for about 45 minutes going, because that's where music is, um, is, you know, that's what we come from. I mean, we're dinosaurs in this, but there's more dinosaurs than us, but, you know, just that live, we don't play with tracks. Hmm. You know, we go out there, that's what I'll give Dave Grohl credit for, just the, the mistake sometimes better than what you wrote in the first place, you know? And we don't even do, we don't do sound checks. We haven't done a sound check in 20 years. We don't rehearse. Mm. Whatever song we decide to play, we're going to do it in the show that night. Get ready. We'll see how good you are. Because we don't, we take it seriously, but we also don't take it, you know, that seriously. You know, at some point, one of us heard Frank Sinatra say to Dean Martin, today was in an interview, the Rat Pack, about the same thing I'm telling you about rehearsing and, why how do y'all just go on stage and go willy-nilly when everybody else just rehearses to a team, whether you got it or you ain't got it. And we just started doing, you know, that. We just go play live um, and do our thing. It's not really a science, it's, you know. And when you're playing with the same group for that long, the same people, you guys know kind of how the other guy's going to do this and do that and – Right, you can see. I've never played with another drummer beside my brother ever in the history of my life. That's amazing. So I don't have to look at him. I can tell what he don't like from the beginning. <laughs> He's constantly looking at me, going, "Slow down," because <laughs> I will never. Even, I've played gigs since I was 16 years old. 40 years, 40 years worth of gigs since I was a kid, and I will never ever be able to be calm when the lights go down. There's just not no way. I mean, it even comes down, they go, okay, here's what's going to happen tonight. The lights are going down, Jeff's going to run off the end of the stage, and then we want to regroup after that and play the show. You know, we, we know each other's faults. And, yes. and we know, but we don't, we don't worry about it that much because we learn from the big guys that, you know, you, you play seven, eight gigs a week. You play five gigs a week. Three of them might be okay. One of them is going to be the one that the hand of God touches you. You know it. But in the other ones, you just get, you know, it's not, a, it's, you know, you just have to love it. Love what you do, whether it's bad or good. That's true. Um, you know, I, I have all the time, I just did an interview last week where I was telling them, I have this one guy, I see these people in front row and there'll be people, and there'll be this one person just like, Not even a smile. Just look at you all night. They're like, what have I got to do to crack your skull? You know, you know, making no kind of face. But they'll come through the autograph line and they're like, and I'll lean over to my brother and goes, here comes that dude that's solemn face all night. Let's see what his problem is. And he comes to the line and he gets to shake my hand. And when he shakes my hand, he goes, hey, man, great show. That's all right. And I'm going, why don't you do some of that shit out there? <laughs> you know, so you, I don't even, you know, I'm so long you learn people. I, psychology, you know, I just go out and have a good time and I try to put my positive vibe onto everybody, you know, life's worth living for two hours here and then we all go back to our misery. Oh, you, <laughs> you've been one of the best I've chatted with in a long time. I thank you. You've given me a great time tonight. I've enjoyed it. No it's, problem. So, uh, Naomi. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you want to do it again, just hit, hit me up. Absolutely. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll read Instagram the books. Thing. I'll read the books, yes. and I'll tell I'll tell you when I'm done, and we, maybe we can talk about it again sometime. Okay. Yeah. There's the Canadian stories and oh, yeah. UFO stories and aliens and. Um, when we wrap up the podcast, I'd like to play a song of Jackals of Your Choosing. Uh, okay. So, I mean, maybe an album track. I love deep cuts. So whatever you'd like to choose, we're going to play. I want you to play the one I told you with Brian Johnson. It's off of, uh, it's called Locked and Loaded. Locked and Loaded. You got it. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, and, and, and just remember this, you personally. When you hear Jesse, our singer, and Brian Johnson sing it, that was one take. Wow. One take. Because Brian wasn't supposed to be on it. He was showing Jesse how to sing. <laughs> that's what you get. <laughs> and you're still filming this, but that's what it don't matter. It's just the truth. That's what it is. That they nailed it in one performance. So okay. play that, locked and loaded. I will do. Thank right. you so much, Jeff. I'm no, thank you. I had fun. That was awesome. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Hit me up, whatever, Naomi. Bye, darling. Bye. Bye. You hang up because I don't know how. Okay. Okay. Right.
Huge thanks to Jeff Worley for taking time to chat with Colin and I on the show. And you can find his books. One's called No Filter Part One, Stories Better Left Untold, and Dog Eat Dog, The Rockstar's Guide to a Healthy Life. So find those books from him and learn a little bit more about Jackal. Next week on the show, my guest is Rosala. With the hit single, Everybody's Free, she made a massive impact in the 90s. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Hit up our Instagram, dope underscore nostalgia. You like Twitter better? That's cool. Nostalgia dope. Or shoot us an email, dope nostalgia podcast at gmail.com. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.